People of God in Christ, in this Mark series, we are walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus through his, his earthly ministry in the flesh. And of course, we ought to always be walking with our Lord, no matter where we are in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see and keep company with Christ by those three ways. By promise, by prophecy, and by prefiguration. In the book of Acts and the letters of the apostles to the church, we are walking with our Lord to understand more deeply what the ministry of Jesus meant and how it continues. But in the Gospels, there is a sweet and personal opportunity to walk with Jesus by reading of his birth, his life, his suffering and death, his victorious resurrection in the body from the grave and his glorious ascension to heaven. These should be personal things to us. And as we are his disciples, as we are following him in love, the experience should definitely be that of walking with our Lord. And what a blessing it is to us to have not one, not two or even three, but four Gospels. The critics, in their unbelief, uh, only read the four looking for contradictions uh, so as to justify their unbelief. Uh, We would call them apparent contradictions because faith brings us to see the overwhelming, wonderful agreement within the four Gospels. The law of God says that everything must be established by two or three witnesses, but we have four. And between the four, there is a a wonderful agreement, notwithstanding the apparent differences. And and that agreement, the, the comprehensive witness of the four Gospels, gives us opportunity to to know our Lord and to grow in knowledge of the Savior whom we love, even as we can see so clearly how completely He has loved us. Mark, in his gospel, doesn't tell us about the birth of our Lord. He begins with the ministry of Jesus. He tells us of the ministry of John the Baptist. It was a ministry that established the divinity of Christ from the beginning. Before Jesus preached or taught his first word of ministry, John the Baptist prepared the people for the coming of God into their midst by calling them to repent. In other words, John the Baptist prepared the people by calling them to prepare themselves, just as the people of God prepared themselves for God's coming at Mount Sinai. And then Mark records the early ministry of Jesus, how he came primarily preaching and teaching the people. He also did miracles, healing the sick and casting out demons. But from the beginning, the miracles were only the attestation and confirmation of his teaching and the claims that he was making about himself. And along with his teaching and his miracles, Jesus also began, remember last time, calling those whom he would take and make to be his disciples. Here then must be our response to these things, that we too hear the call of Christ and begin and continue to follow him. 
The passage before us this evening applies to us as well because it teaches us that as we follow Him, our Lord will provide for us. He will provide for us physically and spiritually. Jesus will provide our daily bread. He will provide our eternal salvation as we follow Him as His disciples. So looking at Mark 2, beginning at 23, through the, uh, the first six verses of chapter 3, uh, the first point is the hunger of the disciples. Verse 23 says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. First of all, here is a wonderful, explicit picture of the disciples following Jesus. We see it in the way Mark puts it. One Sabbath he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Mark might have written, one Sabbath they were going through the grain fields and the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. But Mark makes it clear, can you hear it, that Jesus is out in front. He was going through the grain fields and they were following him. But otherwise, we see that the disciples were hungry. And we should understand that uh, their way of acquiring food in, in this story was the way for the poor to be fed, uh, set up by God in his law. Notice that when the Pharisees confront Jesus for what the disciples were doing, they, they did not accuse them of stealing grain. The law of God allowed the poor to pick food from the edges of the fields. In fact, the law commanded that at harvest, the edges of the fields were to be left unpicked. Food was left for the poor to pick and eat and be provided for. So, so here were the disciples, having heard and answered the call of Christ to follow him. Here were the disciples living quite meagerly, hungry, and yet still being provided for. In fact, it makes sense to understand that Jesus knew they were hungry. He knew the law of God, and of course he knew it. It was his own law. But knowing the law, Jesus was intentionally going through the grain fields so that as his disciples followed him through the grain fields, they might pick from the grain and and have something to eat. In, in other words, Jesus here is feeding his hungry disciples by leading them through the grain fields. Here's a point to review what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Maybe, maybe you remember the four aspects of the discipleship relationship. Number one, dependence upon Christ. Number two, being a student of Christ Number three, loving Christ. And number four, serving as a herald of Christ in the world. So, dependence upon Christ. Jesus was not the only disciple who had, the only, uh, the only teacher who had disciples. Uh, we saw this last time when the people asked Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not, do not fast? So Jesus did not invent the discipleship relationship, but he certainly did take it to 
a higher level, a full-time level. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew, James and John, to follow him, what did they do? They, they left their nets and their boats in order to follow Jesus. When, uh, what happened when Matthew was called? He, uh, he, too, left his means of support and set out to follow Jesus, depending on Jesus. The point is not that we must quit our jobs in order to follow Jesus, but we mustn't miss the significance that to follow Jesus is to depend upon Him to provide for us. For most of us, Jesus provides for us exactly through our jobs. Our jobs are the same as Jesus leading His disciples through the grain fields so that they might eat. And yet, however he does it, we must see that it is Jesus who is providing for us our daily bread, which is to say the supply of material blessing that we need in our lives. So it might sound like a contradiction. Uh, Earlier, I, I gave you my thesis statement, so to speak, my theme for this sermon that Jesus will provide our daily bread and he will provide our eternal salvation as we follow him as his disciples. And now the first point is the hunger of the disciples. But the promise of Christ is is not that we will always be lavished with material blessings and that we will never be hungry, and and yet we are to to, to depend upon Jesus. We are to because we do. We just do depend upon Jesus. I think here of Psalm 23... Uh, And the opening verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does that mean? How how do you read it? Does it mean that the, the Lord is my shepherd so that I will never have a want? Or is it a statement of faith deciding that I will not want? I because I already have Christ as my shepherd. Well, I don't think it's an either or. It's, it's both the, the claiming of the promise of God's faithfulness that He will provide for me, and it's also the decision to be content with whatever He gives. Because whatever He gives or withholds from us in, in this life, we have the promise as disciples of Christ of eternal life. And that by the resurrection of the body into a new and perfect creation. In the meantime, we do suffer. We suffer hunger. It is true that Psalm 37, verse 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. But surely the persecuted church knows what hunger is. Surely Christians stood in the same bread lines as unbelievers did during the Great Depression. And a day, even a season of suffering may come for you in the future when things are tough for you. And you may need to come to the church and and ask for help. And there are other kinds of hunger, which which is to say uh, there are other godly desires that remain unmet for a time within us. Uh, If not a physical hunger for physical food, someone might 
desire to be married, but God has not provided a spouse. Someone might desire a job, not having one, or a better job to be delivered from unfulfilling labor or a poor work environment. Someone might desire healing from a chronic pain or illness. But in the day of our need, in, in whatever season of suffering we find ourselves, we have the promise of Christ that He will provide for those who are following Him. So let us follow. Let us see, and, and may Christ Himself show us, let us see that, that being His disciple is the greatest of all blessings because it leads to eternal life. And it will bring us to the riches of heaven. David put it this way in Psalm 16. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And in Philippians 3, Paul says much the same thing when he writes and confesses, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So let us follow him, trusting that he will, that indeed he has provided all things for us. The next point, then, is the blessing of the Sabbath. Again, the the Pharisees didn't confront Jesus on the basis of the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, but on the basis of the Fourth Commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here's a point to remember that the word holy means sinless, but the wider, broader meaning of holy is other than. And God himself, as the standard of holiness, is holy in both senses. To be sure, he is sinless. But he is holy also in that he is other than. The holiness of God points to what we call the the creator-creature distinction. That God is holy, H-O-L-Y, means that God is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other than us, other than anything else in all creation. And this is the sense of the word holy in the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It does not mean don't sin on the Sabbath. We're not to sin on any day. So it's not saying make sure you don't sin on the Sabbath. It means instead that the Sabbath day is a day to be kept other than the rest of the days of the week. And here's how to keep it holy. By resting. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day, uh, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So that's the fourth commandment, and that's the context for the story that Mark is telling here. Being poor and hungry, the, the disciples were picking grain to eat, and the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? We first need to recognize the absurdity of their accusation from the start. It seems clear that they were looking for something, as we well know, 
They were looking for something to charge Jesus with. It's not until Mark 3, verse 6, that we hear the full extent of their opposition to Jesus. Mark writes, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Destroy him? Destroy a man who could heal the sick and cast out demons? They were just that jealous of Jesus. So while they would never have found fault with a housewife for preparing a meal for her family on the Sabbath, here they accused Jesus of allowing his disciples to pick and eat grains of head or uh, heads of grain on the Sabbath. And so Jesus answered them with these words, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? It's a little sticky. Jesus does not explicitly say whether it was right or wrong for David to do this. But he was really only following Scripture because as the story is told of David eating the, the, the bread of presence uh, in, in 1 Samuel 21, Scripture doesn't say whether it was right or wrong. There are those places in Scripture, and this is one of them, where we are told that somebody did something, but we are not told whether it was right or wrong. And there are also places in Scripture where one person is punished by God for doing something wrong, while another is given grace and and, uh, does something similar and is not even confronted for what they did. Prime example is how King Saul um, offered sacrifices to the Lord instead of waiting for Samuel, the priest, to arrive, and and Saul was rejected by God as king for doing this. But along comes David, wearing wearing a priestly ephod and participating in bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and he is not even rebuked. And David also, being hungry, took the bread of the presence, which only the priests were allowed to eat by God, We know Nadab and Abihu were struck down for doing something wrong in the temple. But David ate the bread of the presence and even gave some to his men. And again, he was not punished. He was not even rebuked. So we don't know, and, and Jesus doesn't say outright whether it was right or wrong for David to do this. If, if we go by the letter of the law, we would have to say it was wrong for David to do this. Uh, instead, he should have prayed and trusted the Lord or taken it as an opportunity to fast. And yet Jesus uses this occasion and this act of David to illustrate his point. And by doing so, Jesus really even equates himself with David. We know that Jesus was even greater than David. He was great, David's greater son, as we say. But for Jesus even to put himself on the same level with David, oh, watch out now. The Pharisees have heard more than they can stand in their unbelief. But the lesson on the Sabbath is clear, and and let us hear the the summary statement that Jesus gave at the end of his short sermon. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
In other words, here is a clear example of God commanding his blessing. It's because of sin that we, that we hear God's law and, and take it in one of two wrong ways. Either we hear and uh, we hear the law and we pretend to do it, counting ourselves oh so spiritual. Or we hear it and do it begrudgingly, out of cold duty, because we have to, believing that God is somehow lording it over us, as we say. But, but neither should be our response to the law of God. Instead, we, we should hear each command as God commanding his blessing. Granted, they are the Ten Commandments and not the Ten Suggestions or the Ten Pieces of Advice. Just as parents must at times say to their children, because I said so, when the children are saying, why, 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 sometimes the parent stops and and explains the reason why they may not play in the street or eat candy and cookies an hour before dinner. But when a parent discerns that there is no real interest in the reason, but only a rebellious spirit in the child, they must say, because I said so. So why must we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? First, because God said so. But as we submit to God, knowing and believing by way of his love and grace to us in Jesus Christ, that he is a good God, then indeed, let us, let us ask why. And let us understand that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Here is not an abstract, disconnected command by which God is simply exercising his dominance over us. Here instead is his blessing. What's interesting is, is that between the two places in the, in the Pentateuch recording the Ten Commandments, the reason for the Sabbath is both the same and different. In Exodus 20, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But in Deuteronomy, the reason is this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out, uh, brought you out from there with a, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there's the difference. Not that the first reason, God's rest at creation, doesn't apply to Israel as they were about to enter the promised land. And it's not that the second reason, God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, doesn't apply to Israel at Mount Sinai. But while Israel, uh, but while the stated reasons are different, here is what's the same. God's work for his people calls them to rest. The work of God in creation was certainly for his glory, but for his glory as he created the world as a blessing to mankind. And the work of God in the Exodus was again for his glory, but God would be glorified by his people as he works for them and blesses them with salvation. And so, brothers and sisters, it's the same for us. 
Why do we rest and worship on the Lord's Day, our, our Sabbath day? Because God has worked for us through Christ. In the beginning, God accomplished creation for His glory and our good. In His deliverance of, Egypt, of Israel from Egypt, God accomplished their salvation for His glory and their good. And in Christ, who said, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Who said from the cross, It is finished. In Christ, God worked our salvation for His glory and our good. The Sabbath is not a sacrament per se, but the function is much the same. To be reminded and to be assured. Don't get so busy doing your work, your good and necessary work, but we get so busy working that we forget that the greatest work has already been done. And even the work that we do now, that we're called to do, whether it be our work to earn a wage or our work to battle sin, our work is not the work that saves us. Our work is the work we do to say thank you. Not to be saved, but because we are saved by faith, by resting in the finished work of God in Jesus Christ. What a, what a loss to us if we say we don't have to observe the Sabbath anymore. The fourth commandment no longer applies to us. What, what grief should be ours if that is true? Because the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is God's blessing upon us, even as it is His command for us to obey. It is what we must do. But by our knowledge of Christ and the gospel and His call to come and, and rest in Him to be saved, may it be to us what we don't have to do. We don't have to work, and yet we are saved. We get to rest. We are granted rest. We are blessed to rest in Christ and, and in the work that He has done for us. Finally then, a Sabbath miracle. Mark 3, verse 1 record, records, Again, He entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Whether it was the same Sabbath or a later one, uh, we are not told. But here was Jesus teaching in the synagogue as he was given to do. And here were the Pharisees still watching him closely so as to have something with which to accuse him. And, and so the lesson continues about the Sabbath. Uh, Come here, said Jesus to the man. And he asked the Pharisees, uh, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill? But they kept silent. And he looked around at them with anger, it says, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man did so as he was told, and he stretched out his hand, and it was healed was healed on the Sabbath. 
Well, here's a great example and a, and a perfect illustration of why our Lord did miracles. Jesus had just said, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That is an astounding claim, that He is Lord of the Sabbath. It is finally nothing less than a claim to be God. The critics want to say that Jesus never said, I am God. And granted, he never put those three words together or their equivalent in the language he spoke. But over and over, Jesus said things that only God could say. Here is one of them. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It even harkens back to the fourth commandment where it says, Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Jesus really was saying, Look, I am the Lord who gave the commandment in the first place. I am even the Lord God who rested on the seventh day in the beginning. And just so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What a thing to say. And yet anyone can say that. But only God, only God can tell a man with a withered hand to stretch it out so that it was healed and restored. The miracles of Jesus prove his claims and they show his authority to preach and teach as God himself. Two things to take away. First, Consider the care and compassion of Jesus. Care for his disciples and his compassion toward the man with the withered hand. The man who, when Jesus was done, no longer had a withered hand. So consider not only the care and compassion of Jesus, but the power and authority of Jesus. And when you put the two together, his, his care and power... Uh, or his compassion and authority, then you have exactly, we have exactly the Jesus whom we need. He is not only willing to save you, but he is able. So again, hear his call, answer his call, come under his care, become the recipient of his power. Know that he is for you and not against you as you bow to Him and follow Him as your Master and your Savior. Second, consider the anger of Jesus. Isn't this, uh, isn't this remarkable? Uh, there are very few places uh, where we are told that Jesus was angry. Here is one of them. Verse 5 again, And He looked around them with anger. And yet Mark makes it clear that this is not a, a bitter anger because he also says that Jesus was grieved at their hardness of heart. Consider then that it grieves our Lord when we resent the Sabbath day, when we obey out of cold duty because we have to rather than because we get to. The Sabbath signifies His finished work. So keep in mind that, that the very last Sabbath to come on the seventh day was the full day 
that Jesus rested in the tomb. And when he rose again on the first day of the week, the church began, as we should expect, to celebrate each first day as a day set apart, as a day holy, set apart by Christ, and set apart unto his praise. It is the Lord's Day, a day to be other than the others, that we might remember and be assured of the rest that we have in Christ's finished work for our salvation. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we delight to walk with you in the pages, in the testimony of the Gospels. We delight to see you, to hear your teaching, to witness your miracles that prove your teaching and your claims about yourself. We delight to be your disciples, depending upon you, because you will and you can provide all that we need. Grant that we would trust you, depending upon you, following you each and every day. And whether we are eating heads of grain or a four-course meal, grant that we would see that your ultimate blessing to us is the forgiveness of our sins and the credit of your perfect obedience and the promise that one day we shall be with you in heaven forever and ever. Hear our prayer and keep us close to you, Lord Jesus. And we ask in your name, amen.